We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant the church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. So, Father, we, we uh, once again come to you, and we love it that your son Jesus said that he wanted his house to be a house of prayer. And so um, each of us just lift our, our minds and our hearts to you, and out of gratitude, we say, hey, thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing. We thank you for Grant, his life of surrender, his love for you, and his uh, great mom and dad and how they uh, serve him well. This morning, Lord, would you use this time? I pray that uh, your people this morning would be fed well, despite uh, my insecurities or insufficiencies, weaknesses. Lord, may you build up the people by your power, by your spirit, and may your word uh, go out and not return void. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we are in Revelation chapter 3. If you'd keep your finger there, that'd be great. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we are in the seven churches of Revelation. We're calling this series Precedented Times. Often uh, the lingo uh, these days are these are unprecedented times, but what we're seeing as we study these churches is that these times are actually very paralleled to what it went on in the first century, and that we can read these letters and apply them immediately, not just individually, but also to our church. And so I pray uh, that they have been a great encouragement and challenge to you. Uh, I know they have been to me. Uh, the title of the sermon today is The Keeper of the Keys and Philadelphia's Door. So uh, if you're a kid and you uh, um, want to take notes today, there's clipboards in the back. You can doodle, you can draw, and you can write down anything you want. No worries with interrupting. You can go on and get one if you want to, okay? So the keeper of the keys and Philadelphia's door. Let me start out with a story, okay? Uh, so this is a family story. Um, my father-in-law, I loved him dearly. And uh, over the years, you will hear many, many stories of my father-in-law. Uh, so I've shared this before, but uh, uh, Hannah's dad was the chaplain of the Cowboys for 30 years, the Dallas Cowboys. And um, when Hannah and I uh, were engaged, um, I had the opportunity to go with John A. Weber down into the, 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 um, down into the stadium, okay? And one of the things that people always said about John was that he treated everyone the same, whether they were the janitor or whether they were like the best player uh, on the Cowboys. Everyone was the same, and that was his character. And so I, I remember going on in with him and uh, being greeted by the security guard. And hey, Jan hey, I think your name was Janie. Hey, Janie, how you doing? How's your family? How are your kids doing? Um, hey, 
Janie, like, um, did you have your bagel this morning? I literally remember that conversation. It was over 10 years ago. Like, Janie loved bagels, right? Hey, what kind did you get this morning? Like, he knew all the details about Janie, the security guard. And then he would walk on down the hallway, down underneath, and and he, he would say hi to the security guard, and he would say hi to the janitor, and he would say hi to all the people that usually people would just pass by because they wanted to see who? The players, the Cowboys, right? And so, like, we went into the locker room, and we were shaking hands with Jason Witten and all the wide receivers and running backs and this and that. But John Weber would always gravitate to the lowly, okay? And uh, to the lowly, like the people who didn't have their names written on the back of their jerseys, right? And um, we, we needed to get someplace. And so John, um, John said, hey, Mike, come on over here with me. And we went over to the janitor. And he said, hey, Johnny, I can't remember his name, but hey, Johnny, would you mind letting us in this door that no one's allowed in? <laughs> and Johnny goes, John Weber, for you, anything, you know? And so he takes out his big old keychain, one of those things that's attached on his, you know, opens up the door, goes, head on in there, guys, you know? And I remember this, ready? Okay, this is what, this is why I'm telling the story, you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, catch this, ready? Hey, Mike. You got to get to know the guy with the keys. Okay? That was, that was his, like, wisdom imparted to me that day. Well, today, um, Jesus is going to make six promises to you in this text. And uh, he's going to call you, the church, to patiently endure. But first, he's going to introduce himself. Um, and he's the guy that you need to get to know because he has the keys. He's going he's gonna to say things about himself and everything else that you'll hear is a wash if you don't know the guy with the keys and don't believe who he is and what he says. Are you with me? Let's start in verse 7 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. All right, so Jesus starts off and he says, hey, church, I'm the holy one and everything that I say is true. So he's holy, like he's morally pure. There's no blemish in him. He's perfect. And everything that he says is true and trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. Okay? So if there was ever a question of his character, or if there is ever a question of, of his how he was made, his moral purity, then there's question of whatever he says isn't trustworthy. And so the rest of the message, we could just basically pack up our bags and go home because... It wouldn't be true and worth our time. But if he is who he says he is, and if what he says is true, like true, well then we have great assurance, we have great comfort, we have great confidence to walk in this Christian life. Um, and, and just in that introduction, let's just pick that one true. This should be of great comfort to you, especially now, okay? Um, I don't know about you, but I have never lived 
in such a time where truth has been presented as such an ambiguous thing. This week alone, I've heard so many times people say, I don't, I just don't know where to get truth. You know, there's articles flying all over the place about everything, and no one knows what to believe. And the great comfort for the church is that Jesus says, Hey guys, I'm the truth. What I say is true. And so I want you to come to me. Isn't that a great truth? We know where to come. It's not a muddy experience. Jesus says, I've got it. Come to me. And then Jesus talks about all these keys. He's like the key of David. And hey, I'm the one who shuts things. I'm the one who opens things. And all that, um, all that I want to say this morning, just to really rush right into it, is he is talking about salvation. He's introducing himself to you. And he's saying, I have the authority to open hearts, to close hearts, I have the keys to salvation. I'm the one who opens and shuts and is in control of the whole process. All right, so kids, how many of you know of the story of the Chronicles of Narnia? Who's read that so far? Mm -hmm. This is probably one of the most famous like Christian um, stories out there, okay? Like when Jesus introduces himself, and he's like, hey, I've got the ability to open doors and shut doors. What is he talking about? Okay? So it's kind of like he's saying there's this, there's this portal that exists. And it's a real thing. It's not just a make-believe deal. There's this door. And if you enter it and go through it, you will cross over into another world. And in the case of Narnia, Lucy like got into that wardrobe, went through all those cool fur coats, and entered on the other side, and there was snow, and she was in Narnia, right? And uh, Tumnus was like, how did you get here? And, and uh, you know, he interpreted it as this, you, you got to go through the wardrobe to uh, go through like the spe'um. You remember that, right? It's like, that's... That is what Jesus is talking about. That there is this real idea that He opens this portal and from earth you can get to a real place and you can stand before God and it is the pathway to eternity. And you can either go to heaven or to hell. And Jesus controls that door. He opens it and He shuts it. He's in charge of this door. He has the keys. And he doesn't abuse or misuse this authority of being the gatekeeper of the door, the locksmith, the opener, the shutter. You can trust him. And in this case, you don't go through a wardrobe, but the conduit to get to the other side is faith. That you must believe in Jesus. And the door is opened and you can enter and be with him in heaven. That's what he's talking about. That's why the, the next verse he talks about, he's, he says, if I've given you faith, like if faith is the conduit into heaven, faith that I give 
works. And so he starts and he says, I know your works because faith works. But before we get ahead of ourselves, there's two points today that will kind of guide our time. Okay, So number one is trust in his promises. And like I said, there's going to be six of them that come. So first we're going to look at everything that God does. And then point number two is patiently endure. And so we're going to look at our call. The thing that God says, hey, I need church, do this. Okay? And we're ordering him in that way. So it's going to be so that you can understand it's kind of like a boat. Like the boat is the promises, and you are called to hang on and ride in that wake. Okay? So let's go ahead and get started. We're at number one, trust in his promises. And here are six promises coming your way. And these are, you're supposed to cherish relish and delight in these promises. They're going to be awesome. Promise number one, Jesus opens doors. Look at verse eight with me, okay? It's on the screen if you need it. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, so we're in the door discussion, all right? And throughout the New Testament, God, through His Word, uses doors analogous to opportunity for the Word or for the Gospel to go forth so that people can cross over from earth through the door into the next life, eternity, okay? That's what he's talking about. So like the doors can equate to opportunity for, to share the Gospel with people. And it's Jesus who opens these doors. And what he does to the church is that he sets the door before them and he says, hey, I'm giving you an opportunity to be a part of the process where if you share the gospel, I will open the door to people's hearts and they can come through and be with me. Jesus opens doors. So just a little bit of, of a story this week of, 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 of sharing how this happened in my life, okay? So um, I, uh, I've been meeting a guy, I've been discipling him for a while, and we met at a place uh, off of Kings Mill Road this week, and we noticed that there are three Indian men serving us. And, um, and, and we looked at them together, and then we looked at each other, and I said, these guys need to know the Lord. And it was like the Holy Spirit started like bubbling up in my heart a desire for these guys to know the Lord. And it wasn't going to happen by osmosis. It wasn't going to happen by just like, by just a pattern of me ordering week after week there. It happens by faith through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so it was like, We've got to say something to him. We've got to start a relationship. And so I said, hey, um, my name is Mike. What's your name? And he was like, well, my name's Alex. And my name's this. My name's this. Great. And I just went for it. I don't know a whole lot about uh, Indian uh, culture and tribes and things like that. But from our time in Tanzania, I've met a few Indians. And so I said, um, are you guys Gujwarti? And which is like this, this people group within India and their eyes got so big and they're like, yes, how did you know? 
we are Gujarati. And like, I was like, I just, I, I just had to ask. And I didn't say, well, that's all I know. Right? I just had to ask, right? And, um, and it just like opened up this, uh, this conversation. We just talked for 20 minutes about, oh, their homeland and what they're doing here and their family and why they're doing it. It was awesome, right? And, and I said, hey, I'm going to come here again and I'm going to remember your name, Alex. Okay? And then me and the guy that I was meeting with, we prayed for him. And it's the beginning of God opening the doors. It wasn't me. It wasn't my ability. It wasn't my, my like personality or anything. The Holy Spirit started to prompt me to begin a relationship with them for the sake of Christ. And I am praying, and I'm asking you guys to pray for Alex. Because I'm going to start, and this is a term that, that we, I've used before, and I want us to like become familiar with and use more. This is strategic dining, right? This is, I'm going to come here, Alex, every week, and I want to like get to know you, and I want to become your friend. And also, I want to know of all the great Indian places to eat around Cincinnati. You got any recommendations? All right, let's go. Let's, right? And over time, I hope that Alex could hear and see the gospel in and through my life. Amen? Would you pray for Alex this week? So that's how he works. That's what he, he does. All right, so that was the first promise, that Jesus opens doors. He promises to do it. He does it for the church, and He'll do it for us. He did it back then. He'll keep on doing it. That's what He does. That's who He is. Promise number two. Here we go. The proud will be humbled. The proud will be humbled. Let's look at verse 9. It says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. It's interesting that right before verse 9, the verse that we just read, verse 8 tells us that this church had little power. Did you see that in your Bibles? Go ahead and underline that, little power. This is just an observation of going through five churches so far. In all these churches that we've studied, harm and persecution have come their way and never once have we seen Jesus tell the church to fight against it or vie for power or fight for their own rights. Isn't that interesting? Never once does Jesus say, go out and pick it because you are being mistreated as a culture or as a people. Never once in these seven churches do we say, oh, Jesus says, go out and protest for your personal rights. Each of them, Jesus says, hey, hold fast to me. Hold fast to Jesus. Patiently endure. And I will handle your enemies. That's the promise. The proud here will be humbled. Jesus tells the enemies of the church that he will take care of them. And we should trust that promise that he's in control. Verse 9. Next promise. Promise number 3. He says, I will keep you. I'll read verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world 
to try those who dwell on the earth. All right, so let's dip our toes into this a little bit. So we've been reading the book of Revelation now for some weeks. And he says that he's going to keep the church from this hour of trial. Okay? So we know in general, just from reading the Scriptures, that Jesus doesn't promise to save you from hard times. He doesn't promise you in general to save you from suffering. But here in this verse, he's specific to say that he's going to keep them from an hour of trial. Okay? So if you're taking notes, you could write down hour of trial, dash, a specific time period. So Jesus is talking about a certain time period uh, in history that is yet to come. Um, so real quick, if you could draw a line in terms of a, a timeline of history, the line, you know, you could start it with a dot and you could call it creation and you could draw it to the right, okay? You could put a, a cross sometime in there and that would mean that's when Jesus died on the cross. Above that cross, you could put an arrow coming down to that cross. And that would mean that's when Jesus came the first time. Theologians call it the first advent. Okay, And right, right within that timeline, like just a little bit to the right, you could put like an arrow going up to signify that He ascended. That was the movement of Jesus. He came down to earth, came as a baby, lived on the earth for about 33 years, he had a public ministry for three years. He died on the cross. He rose again from the tomb. He showed himself. He ascended to earth. There's that up arrow. All Christian orthodoxy believes in that, embraces it, loves it. If you believe in that, that saves you. A part of the, the Christian teaching that we find from the Scriptures, if you go a little bit to the right on that, or in your case, if you go a little bit to the right in this case, um, you would draw another arrow going down okay and the bible teaches that jesus is going to come again and everyone who's a christian says yes i'm looking forward to that time i can't wait and that simple chart everyone agrees with okay but just to like push us and just to go a little bit deeper many bible scholars view that this hour of trial is a unique period of time that is yet to come that is called the seven years of tribulation. This, this hour of trial is seven years that, that massive suffering and tribulation will come to the earth. Again, everyone agrees that, that the down arrow is coming, Okay, that Jesus is coming back. These verses, especially verse 10, uh, supports the view that Jesus will come prior to the seven years and He will take the church from the earth. He will save them from the hour of trial. Um, and and, and the, the preposition used is from or out of, not through, dia in Greek, but out of. Uh, and this, this position, just to continue to equip our church, is called a pre-tribulation rapture. Pre meaning before, tribulation meaning in reference to the seven years, this certain time of history. Okay, And those who hold to this position uh, really reference this verse. This, this verse gives a lot of support to this type of position. Okay? Uh, if you don't hold to a pre-tribulation rapture, um, this, it, it's okay. You're still a Christian. 
okay? Um, um, you can still cherish this promise uh, by keeping a clear conscience, and we can all embrace these truths, that Jesus right now has the ministry of keeping us. That's the promise, that I will keep you. Remember that verse? He's like, hey, uh, I am able to keep you from falling, which would be I'm able to save you and rescue you uh, out, out of salvation, and you won't ever fall back into being condemned. I will keep you, and he'll keep me to the end whenever that happens. But that's he'll keep me all the way to eternity. And so we as a church, wherever you fall in terms of positions on revelation and tribulation and millennialism and things like that, we can embrace that Jesus has the ministry of keeping and he will keep you to the end. Amen? How do we do? We, got, we, we, we dipped our toe in a little bit. Was it like our ankles or our knees? Or should we come back? All right, let's come back a little bit. That is what we call a tertiary issue in doctrine of Christian life. Third tier doesn't save you, and, and we certainly shouldn't let it divide us. And so it is a, it's a, an issue that we can discuss and debate about in a Christian way and think it through together and go through the Scriptures together. Um, and um, you can buy me um, a coffee, and we can talk about it later, okay? Uh, number four. This is the fourth promise. I will make you a pillar. Now watch this. This is a really sweet promise. Um, especially to this church. Number, uh, verse number 12 says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. All right, let's do a little bit of history channel here, okay? I would say if there's one thing you need to know about the city of Philadelphia, which is basically where my brother-in-law is from, which is way too bad. Um, he's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He likes the 76ers, likes the Eagles. We're not talking about that city, okay? We're talking about this city in ancient Turkey. The one thing you need to know is that this city suffered from earthquakes, okay? Historians record that earthquakes destroyed the city several times, and there was one especially that happened around the year, catch this, ready, AD 37. AD 37, which is like biblical times, right? Historians note that all over the city, that homes were just wrecked, walls were cracked, and the city walls especially were ruined. And it took all of the city's attention, energy, and finances. And so as a result, this city really struggled economically. And some scholars say this is why Jesus talked about this church not having a lot of power because perhaps their finances went to always putting stucco back on their own personal walls and their own in their personal homes as well as always building and rebuilding the church where they assembled. So Jesus knowing them and knowing their poverty and knowing their struggles promises them and gives them a spiritual promise. He's like, hey, I know your physical ground is shaky, but guess what? I'm going to make you a pillar, and this pillar won't crack, right? I'm going to make this a strong and dependable experience for you. If you believe in me, if you trust me, if you hold fast, I will make you a pillar. Isn't that beautiful?
to this church. So amazing. Promise number four was I'll make you a pillar. Number five, you guys are doing great. Great job. He says, never shall you go out. These next promises are just going to bullet point your way, okay? Verse 12, never shall you go out of it. Okay, so when you get there, you won't, you won't get there and be kicked out. You'll, it's, it'll be like you're going to a concert. You'll have VIP backstage passes to be with God forever. And he's not going to go, eh, I don't really like you anymore. or I'm kind of tired of you. Or you kind of have this annoying thing that you do. No way. He's like, ah, oh, I've been waiting for you. I want you here. And you will be here forever with me. Promise number five, you shall never go out. And number six, and this whole time, these promises should be motivating you to love Him more, causing you to love Him more, and grounding you more in God and less in this earth. Watch this. Last one. Here we go. This might offend some of you. Here we go. Promise number six, three tattoos. All right, Jesus is going to give you three tattoos. Let me read it. I'm not making this up. Verse number 12. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Do you see that there? Three tattoos. I don't know if you're into that. But just as your pastor, I would leave a little bit of room for eternity. Okay? So you see... Friends, it really does pay to know the keeper of the keys. Those pom- promises, let them, let them wash over you. Like the locksmith and the one who stands at the door, who opens, closes it. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? He's in charge of opening that door. The pathway is that He grants faith. If you don't know Him, you must place your faith and trust in Him. So there's the boat, okay? It's a big old boat, six promises. And Jesus calls the church to be like, all right, hang on, right? Ride in the wake. So point number two is patiently endure. It's from verse 10. It says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. That's the call of the church. We've seen it laced throughout each of these churches. That's the, the hold fast, the, the stay steady, the hold fast to me. And this is another wording, patiently endure. This is the basic call to the church, Okay. And I think if, if I were to just, to just be real with you and maybe anticipate some of your, your thoughts going on right now, it would be something like this. Patiently endure. Man, that sounds kind of like a passive stance as a church. Like, what does that mean? Like, just hang on to the rope and, and like give a thumbs up and just hang on, church, until I come again. Right? Is that kind of the attitude of it? Is it kind of like the attitude of like when you talk to someone on a Tuesday and they're kind of pessimistic as a person or kind of Eeyore-esque, right? And you go, hey, how's it going on a Tuesday? And they give this answer. Just patiently enduring. 
Just wait until Friday. Just making it. Is that the attitude that Jesus is saying when it, when it comes to patiently endure for the church? Is that the Christian life? What in the world does patiently endure mean? All right, so let me go Greek on you for a second, okay? Uh, write down the word hupomone, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E, hupomone. If we ever study James in the future, we'll really dive into this word, okay? I'm going to give you a, 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 the characteristic or the definition of this word that, that Jesus used here. A steadfast man, or woman, obviously, a steadfast man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose. I'll read it again. A steadfast man who is not swerved by his deliberate purpose. You hear how that's not a passive stance in the Christian life? You see, the, you hear those words steadfast, like this constant, this strength. Did you hear that word deliberate in there? Like this planned out course, this chin to the wind attitude, this, this attitude of I will. Okay? What did the, the, this church deliberately do, though? Like, what was the specific call? Or how could, they, how could they be called to this and given a specific action so that this church can be identified as, ha-ha, a pattern of living in this deliberate manner? The quick and dirty is, what did they do? And I would like to answer that for you. Are you ready? It's in verse 8. Remember when Jesus opens doors of opportunity for them? This church deliberately walked through the doors. And you're like, what? Newman, you're still too like in the clouds for me. Okay, ready? This church told non-believers about Jesus in a deliberate way. This was their pattern of life. They told the lost, people far from God, about Jesus. Out of their poverty, while they were rebuilding their homes, while they were suffering and struggling with like matters of the church and earthquakes and stuff like that, they, their whole pattern of life was that they deliberately put their chin to the wind and said, we will tell people about Jesus. They must know how to be saved. Of course, by our deeds, by our actions, but with our words. This is how God opens doors. That we speak and God peels back the blinders so that people can see. Blind eyes see when people speak. God opens the doors. All right, so at the gathering, who do we got in here? Who do we have? We got some lawyers, okay? We got some financial gurus. We got some teachers. We got some techie people. We got some scientists. We got some butchers. We got some butchers. Did you guys know that? We have some photographers, some builders. 
contractors, we got some stay-at-home moms, we got some retired folks, we got some good people in this church, okay? Can we collectively, can we individually name five non-Christians each that we know? I think so. I think we could do that. I think everyone in this church could name five non-Christians that they know as a result of the platform that God has given you, i.e. your job, right? Got some firemen in here that they know non-Christians. What if we deliberately, in an unswerving manner, decided to commit our ways that by the beginning of 2021, the five people in your life would hear the gospel from our mouths. I mean, you do the math, guys. Come on. Isn't that great? Like, everyone in here times five. You carry the one, you have two over, you drop it down. And that's like a lot of people. You can tell I am the, the numbers guru in this church. So today I, I'm calling you as a church to be a church in word, to share the gospel of Jesus with others. Pick your five. Plan it out. Start working your plan. Amen? Let's do this, church. Um, we want to we take part in helping you learn how to do that. And one of the chief ways that we're going to do it this fall is that we're going to go through the book of Romans. And we're going to have a challenge to memorize the Romans road. Some of you have grew up in church that you've known that, you've memorized it, but uh, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it again. And it's going to be awesome to, so that we are equipped to clearly share the gospel with, with, with people. But also today, and uh, this is where the sermon um, takes a little bit of a, a turn or a twist and, and uh, becomes especially interesting because I'm also going to call you to deed. Today, we have read and studied about cracked walls in Philadelphia and doors that have been broken and busted down or opened and closed and things like that. We've talked about a church that it was promised like blessings. It's awesome. In their poverty and in, in, amidst earthquakes. So August 4th of this month, uh, uh, 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate exploded in the Lebanon. Have you heard about this yet? This is not long ago. And this deserves our attention today. Um, we're, uh, I've just been reading about it. We're talking about the deaths of something like 300 people um, as a result of the aftermath of the blast. And thousands injured. Thousands homeless. Okay? Um, I, I put this up. Uh, this is from Al Mohler's blog. Um, this is a man that I trust and love and listen to often. I'll read it for us. This is some of his commentary on what happened August 4th. At the humanitarian level, the disaster is almost beyond our comprehension. 
The New York Times reported yesterday that fully 300,000 Lebanese have been left homeless by the blast. 300,000. Just as a point of comparison, that population is just about the population of the American city of Toledo, Ohio. Imagine 300,000 people without housing. So I woke up uh, Tuesday morning. I, I knew about the blast. I've been reading about it and listening about it on different podcasts, things like that. And I woke up Tuesday morning gripped with the with like, hey, we live in Warren County. What can we do to help these people? How can we be a part of God opening doors of opportunity for the word to go forth in Beirut, Lebanon? It's so far away. So I prayed, and this is what I love about being a pastor of a church that meets in the Y. And this is how crazy and ridiculously strategic this is. If you're new with us, and if you haven't heard about like our vision of not just meeting in here just for rental space, but partnering with the Y and wanting and desiring and planning a church plant in every Y across the globe. We'd love to talk about that more. For that one, you need to like buy me a salad or something or a burger or something. But um, um, I, I, here's two pictures that I'd like to show you, okay? Um, this is within studying the Church of Philadelphia and how their walls were cracked and how their, their just whole structure was shaken, I contacted the, the YMCA Beirut, and I said, hey, are you guys okay? How can we be of service to you? How can we help? And guess what they wrote back? Let me, let me read to you, because they're talking about their walls, their doors, and they talked about their windows. They said, thank you so much. In these hard times, any concern... Kind word and support lifts our spirits. Much appreciated. We are hardly passing through a rough path as our building, consisting of seven floors and two ground floors, suffered extensive damages to windows and doors completely blown away. Cracked walls and partitions. This affected our office work and the well-being and safety of our hostile residents sleeping in the rooms. Any support is appreciated. YMCA. Uh, sorry, YWCA, Beirut. Look at that room especially. Um, when I looked at that room, I said, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> let's plant the church there. Uh, we've been talking to churches um, within some church planting networks. We've contacted some pastors this week. And uh, I, I want to say that textually, Philadelphia gave out of their poverty. And even though they were of little power, God used them in great ways. Even so that we're talking about them and learning from them today in 2020. And so today, uh, uh, this is going to be our first uh, essentially impromptu call to give financially to this, to this cause. Um, and this isn't a wise financial move for us right now. You need to know that. And so as a church, we only have like one meeting a year and we discuss finances. We want to grow in our, in our communicating with you how we're doing. And so this is just me being real tangible and practical with you. COVID has been 
uh, every church across the globe has been hit hard financially. Um, we, uh, we've been so blessed and proud of our church. You guys have done well to continue to give to the Lord's work. Um, uh, last month, and, and I think I'm getting this right, I'm pointing over here because Barb is, is, is helping with our, our money and our treasure. And um, We were up from our budget 13% amidst people losing jobs and struggling and, and, uh, and, and insecure, unsettling times. We're up 13%. Praise the Lord um, for that month. It's awesome. awesome. When you look at our budget as a whole for the year, we're down about seven grand. Am I getting that right? So it's a little bit over seven grand. Um, and so it's not like that we, we budgeted for this, but you never plan for things like that. And what we want to do and be like as a church in these early years is start this culture of like, there's a need. Let's meet it. Let's do this. I think we need to do something as a church. And I think it would be awesome for the gospel if we could give to this cause. And so um, two things. One, I would like to call us to give. I would like to take part in repairing the walls, the windows and the doors, and pray for open doors for the gospel and a long-term plant. So I want to use our money, and this is how Jesus talks about it in the gospel, to use it strategically to build friends for relationships. Like, I want to start being their friend, and so I want to give them money, okay? And I want to see what the Lord does. Will He plant a church? I don't know. I would like him to. Will it be in my lifetime? I don't know, but let's try. Okay? And I think a really doable goal is 500 bucks. Okay? So I'm just, I'm, I'm making up that number, but I'm just going to throw it out there. And I would say this is a, a call to give above and beyond what you would normally give to the church. And so I know this is real practical, but like, I'm not called to be your politician. I'm called to be your, your pastor. Okay. And so like, if, if you haven't given from your stimulus check yet, this today would be like a great reminder to use that money that the government gave you. That's God's anyways, to give a, a portion of it and, uh, and set it aside. If you're like old school and you think tithes, that's fine. Like give 10% to your church and go, all right, family, what do you think of our, like, of our offerings? What do you think we should give? Like, let's look at the budget together. All right, let's pray. Let's mow a lawn. Let's do, all right, I think we can do this, okay? That's what I would like to call you to do. And um, just to be financially clear, um, if, if you would like to donate to this, go ahead and write a check out to the gathering or um, text to give, or things like that. Um, you can do this online, but in the memo line, or is, is wherever you need to put it, write down, and, and I just made this up, open doors to Beirut, okay? So write that down so we know that this money is meant to go for YMCA, YWCA missions across the globe. That's my call. Would you give to this? And then number two, would you pray for a church plant opportunity? That doesn't necessarily mean we send one of our own over there, although it could. Um, it, it might mean that we start working with trusted churches in that area, and as they grow, just like Antioch planted us, we could say, hey, 
City Bible Church, which is the church that we've been talking to. And hey, this guy and this, hey, would you, okay, let, and we start networking and we connect churches and they start meeting there so that God would open the doors for the gospel so that the lost would come to know him. Would you pray to that end? Open doors, open doors, open doors. I love being your pastor. I love being at a church that meets in the Y. It comes with a lot of quirks, right? Comes with setting up things and things, but it is one of the most strategic platforms for ministry and church planting. I love preaching God's word. I love applying God's word to God's people. I love it. I love seeing it change in the lives of people. And I think that God would have us, the gathering, in this process, trust him with these promises, all six of them, and then walk by faith as he opens doors. Can I pray for us? And let's see what happens. So, Father, we are trusting that your son, Jesus, he's still in control. He still has the authority. He still has the power to open doors and shut them. And Lord, the church of Philadelphia had little power, but they had the Spirit, who has great power. And we have the Spirit. And Lord, would you rise up within us? Would we be a church that, that doesn't just exist, that doesn't just get through a week, that doesn't just have the attitude of just surviving, but would we be a vibrant people that commune with you and then commit to serving our community by loving and serving our why, and then the wise across the globe so that your name and renown would be known. Thank you that as we sit here in Mainville, Ohio, we have the opportunity to touch people on the other side of the earth. And we do pray that you'd open hearts. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that, that they haven't open their heart to you yet. Would you draw them now? We love you. We love how you work. And we're content and satisfied in you alone. Let's sit for a minute. Ask the Lord what he would have us do. And then let's stand and sing together.